Good morning and Merry Christmas to all of you. I'm so glad you're here. You're the tough ones. You know, a little snow's not going to stop you. Way to go. Glad to be with you. Hey, would you allow me to be redundant and just kind of say in another voice what Daryl just said so that you get it? Uh, Christmas Day is a Sunday. You come and worship every Sunday here at church. If you come on Christmas, you will be alone because we won't be here. All right. Well, again, this is a very new thing we're trying, and that is, you know, over 13 services over Christmas Eve, the days ahead, our volunteers have given so much. We want to give them a break. We also want families to be together. And so this video allows for families to be together. Uh, we created it to speak to kids as well as adults. So if it's just you and your bride, if it's just you, if it's you and grandkids, however it works. Uh, the plan is that uh, you would find it a great blessing. I did feel God's spirit really at work when we made it. I'll tell you, that our worship arts team, all these worship leaders coming together, uh, it's just really powerful. And so um, <laughs> they had to explain this to me. Um, I'm like, can you play the, uh, the video off of the internet onto your TV? And I said, well, if you have a smart TV... And uh, I don't. <laughs> I don't think the TV's to blame. I think it's the owner who's not smart, all right? Uh, you can just do it straight to your TV, or if you want to get a DVD, that's another way. But one way or another, make sure this, this video, we're going to be worshiping together, if you will, but together spread out over many, 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 many campuses, if you will, on Christmas Day. It's going to be very, very fun. So that said, I want to dive back into our series called The Quest. This is a topic that is just so near and dear to me. The pursuit of a deeper relationship with Almighty God. I long for that. And I know many of you do as well. The Magi did. That's why they were looking for Jesus on a quest to see him, to be with him face to face. And we're spending three weeks studying the Christmas Magi. I want to begin today by uh, talking about, you know what this is? Can you tell? It's a hockey puck, that's right. I want to talk about the goal, if you will, of a hockey puck. I played hockey. <clears throat> How raise your, let's just have some, raise your hand if you ever played hockey. Yeah, we feel good about that, don't we? Yeah, we're kind of tough, yeah. I played hockey. I wasn't so tough. I should have been a figure skater, all right? I was a decent skater, but I didn't like bumping people. And you got to be okay with bumping people if you're going to be a hockey player. My dad would go crazy. He'd say, Jeff, you got to be aggressive, son. He'd say, Jeff, the puck was right in front of you. Why didn't you go get it? And I remember explaining to him, Dad, every time I go to get the puck, other people are going to get a puck at the same time, and you can collide with them. And he's like, that's okay, son. Get tough, you know. And I just wasn't. Some of you are doubting me. You're saying, Jeff, were you really that big of a wimp? I can prove it by turning to the newspaper, 40-year-old newspaper. You ready? Here we go. Tomorrow, the Winter Olympics, very funny. Anyways, this is the back of me in my head here, Jeff Griffin in this photo, but this is also me. Maybe we need to zoom in on, on this, all right? Let's zoom in. Is that not the most pathetic child ever? 
Let's go back to the full. I want to read the, the text here. It says, yeah, Chris here is saying, yeah. Yeah, is Chris Stanley's reply when asked if he enjoyed the ice skating adventure. Not so enthusiastic. <laughs> Not so enthusiastic as Jeff Griffin, age seven, after colliding with a fellow player on the ice. Isn't that terrible? Uh, I'm like, oh, coach is rushing out to help me. Flash, the photographer takes my picture, and all of my classmates at school, you know, were like, saw you in the paper, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, very funny. Very funny. My mom, poor mom, she had to keep this. This was the only newspaper article that showed her her son, you know. This is my moment of glory. Let's overlook the fact that I'm whimpering like a child. Well, my dad would explain to me. He'd say, Jeff, the puck is not going to come to you. You must go after it. And then he says, Jeff, you got to fight for it. He would remind me that, yes, there is an opponent who's trying to stop me from getting the puck. And so in hockey, you must be aggressive. You must say, I'm going after it, and if i got to fight for it, I'll fight for it. Now, why am I talking about this? Because in our quest to know God, it's going to be a fight. You're going to have to go after it. If you really want to experience God, if you don't want him to be some distant notion, yeah, I believe that God's out there somewhere. If you want him to be your friend, if you want to sense his presence, feel his love, hear his voice, enjoy his companionship, you're going to have to go after it. And, as we're about to find out, your pursuit of the goal will not be unopposed. There is an adversary who's trying to stop you from getting to it. And as a result, it's going to be a fight. Some people want to believe that the Christian life is a stroll through the daisies. It's just easy. It's not. The Bible talks about fighting the good fight and a war and and a struggle. And we need to embrace that and get tough. And get aggressive. Now, for I'm, I know I'm looking around. I'm not the only wimp in the house. There are others with a timid temperament. And so this fighting terminology, you know, like, really? I'm not much of a fighter. Good news. The Holy Spirit can make you one. Timothy is a uh, guy found in the Bible. Paul wrote a couple letters to Timothy. And he was timid. Timid Timothy. And yet the Apostle Paul says, Timothy, I've got good news for you. The Spirit of God in you is not a spirit of timidity, but he is a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. And God's Spirit can make us tough. He's doing that to me, and he wants to do that to all of us. Because we're going to need to be aggressive and willing to fight if we're going to win the day and get the goal of knowing, deeply knowing our Lord and Savior. So shall we turn to the Word of God? We are in Matthew chapter 2. If you want to read along, you'll find where we are in the Bible in the back of your chair back on page 966. Matthew 2, I want to start in verse 2. Admittedly, we, we studied 2 last week, but if you allow me, we'll begin there again. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem 
And they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. As a bit of reminder, uh, the Magi were these guys probably from Iran, and they were spiritual, political advisors. That's why they're called the wise men, because they had wisdom. Well, they were descendants of a leader of the Magi known as Daniel. Daniel, our Daniel, the Jew, was made the leader of the Magi, and he most likely is the source of their knowledge about the Jewish people expecting a king, a king of a different kind, right? A king who was born king, an eternal king. The Magi knew he was coming. They were waiting for him. They saw his star, as the prophecy in Numbers said, that the birth of this king will be marked by the rising of a star. They saw a star and they said, let's go after him. We got to see him. And so they're on a quest, and they arrive in Jerusalem talking about, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? Now, reading verse 3, it says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And then it says, and all Jerusalem with him. Fair question is, why is all Jerusalem disturbed? The answer is, because Herod's disturbed. When Herod's upset, everybody's freaking, because Herod's crazy. Herod the Great is one of the most evil people in world history. Uh, I've, I've been studying Herod quite a bit. In fact, if I could do a little commercial break for our Christmas Eve services, Herod will be reigning central in our Christmas Eve services. Now, ultimately... They're about Jesus, and we will discover more of the heart of Jesus through a contrast to Herod. And I am so, God is working, and these Christmas Eve services are going to be uh, special, powerful. And you're thinking of inviting your friend? Invite them. This is going to be monumental, and so let's all find folks that we can invite to Christmas. Folks want to come to church in Christmas. It's a great opportunity. All right. My point is, Herod is so upset. Why is Herod so upset? Herod is so upset because he's the king of the Jews. And these guys are saying, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? Is Herod paranoid that someone's going to steal his position? Yes. Paranoid and Herod go hand in hand. He was so fearful and uh, concerned about people stealing his authority that he was killing people all the time. Do you know his father-in-law didn't get along with him real well? Murdered him. His wife, she started, I'm not sure I trust her. Killed her. His two sons, eh, let's kill them too. Herod was crazy murdering people whenever he felt threatened. And so now you know why all Jerusalem is freaking out. Because this guy, these guys are wandering throughout town. Where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? And they're like, oh boy, this is not good. Herod is going to be wielding the sword again. And they were right. Well, Herod finds out from some of his spiritual advisors that this prophecy says that the king will be born in the town of Bethlehem. And so let's skip to verse 7. Herod called the Magi secretly. He found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem. 
He said this, he said, go and carefully search for the child and as soon as you've found him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And the naive magi, you know, were like, isn't that special that King Herod wants to worship Jesus too? And uh, the magi just didn't understand what they were dealing with. And so God had to illuminate it. He had to show them, guys, guys, this guy's no good. And the Lord spoke via a dream. Uh, Reading verse 12, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. I'm, I'm fascinated by that dream. They, this is after they had encountered Jesus. All right, we're skipping that because that's our study for next week. But after they had encountered Jesus, they have this dream. You know, they were going to go back to Herod and say, we found him, we'll show you where he is. And the Lord spoke through the dream saying, you guys don't realize what you're dealing with. This man is no good. He's evil to the core. He does not want to worship the Christ child. He wants to murder the Christ child. So don't tell him where he is. Go back a different route. And the evil intention of Herod was made apparent via this dream. Look at verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. Folks, this is one of the most horrific events in world history, sometimes called the slaughter of the innocents. This is evil on display at a level that our minds can't even comprehend. Here this old man is so fearful of this baby who has the title King of the Jews that the only way he can figure out to protect himself is to kill all the little kids in a town and its vicinity. Jesus got out. Uh, You should know that the Lord warned uh, Joseph in a dream as well and said, get Jesus out of Bethlehem quick. And so Mary, Joseph, and Jesus fled to Egypt where they lived for a time to hide from the reign of terror of Herod. But with Jesus gone, The soldiers reluctantly obeyed their tyrannical king and they marched into this town and they said, where are the boys? And they drove their swords and they killed every little boy in town. Unthinkable. You say, how how do you get such evil? Folks, look at world history. Evil and just unthinkable expression has been found throughout world history. And you may say, why, why? Think of the poor magi, all right? I'm I'm assuming they got word of this great slaughter that had taken place in Bethlehem. And for the magi, they must have wanted to vomit, realizing that they unintentionally had a role in this going down. They had so naively said, where's the one? And their announcement had led to this tyrant going on this murderous rampage. And they must have just been sick to their stomach, knowing they had a part. The Magi knew that their journey would be a challenge. 
But they had no idea that they would confront evil of this nature along the way. And folks, what you should know is that when you are on your journey to encounter Jesus, you too will find yourselves fighting an evil beyond description. You say, what are you talking about? Well, let me, let me tell you more. It's so interesting, the slaughter of the innocents, this horrific event where they attempted, where Herod attempted to kill Jesus, is actually recorded in the book of Revelation as well. You're like, really? I don't remember it being in the book of Revelation. Oh, it's there. But it's a different perspective. You see, Matthew provides for us the earthly perspective of this horrific drama. But in Revelation, we find the Apostle John is given a vision of heaven. That's all, all Revelation is, you know, John's vision of heaven. And the, the, the heavenly perspective of the same event is recorded in Revelation 12. And so I'd like to turn to that now. Revelation is the, if you're not aware, it's the very last book of the Bible. So at the very back. Revelation 12, starting in verse 4. It says, The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so that it, the dragon, might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God. Interesting apocalyptic vision of the heavenly drama. First of all, it's about a birth of a child. And who is this child who is born? Well, you'll see in quotations here, it's the one who will rule all nations with an iron scepter. This is a messianic prophecy from Psalm 2. And so the child being born here is Jesus. All right, This is a Christmas passage, if you will. And at the moment of Jesus' birth, a dragon is desiring to kill him, to devour him. And you say, who is the dragon? The dragon is Satan. It's how the book of Revelation portrays him. It's the devil. And I know some of you who are newer to our church, you're like, really? You believe in devils and, and Satan and demons? Folks, the Bible is so clear, and maybe this description will help you understand this reality. The Bible is clear that humanity was created by God. We are a race of free will beings that God made. The Bible also says we're not the only ones he made. That there is another race of free will beings that God created. They are called angels. They are invisible to us, but they are as real as us. And just as humanity can get evil, so can angels. Just as humanity has ignored God, rebelled from God, so did angels. Now, humanity, it's worse. We all rebelled against God. Where With the angels, it was only a subsect of them. The majority have remained loyal and faithful to God, but Scripture records that a portion of the angels, under the leadership of one of the angels very powerful angel was called Lucifer. The Bible says that he was filled with visions of grandeur about, you know, I don't want to be a part of God's gig. I want my own gig. I, I want to be the king. I don't want him to be the king. And Lucifer desired to start a kingdom where he was the center of it and was able to persuade some of his friends to join his rebellion. Persuaded some other angels that, that life apart from God would be better. 
that when we don't have to follow him, when we can do things our own way, that would be better. And some of these angels have been living in rebellion against God ever since. And they are called demons. They're just angels turned away from God. And not only do they rebel themselves from God, but they fight to get humanity to rebel from God as well. And so, though we can't see it, there is this inter-exchange between humanity and the angelic. There are temptations placed in our mind by demonic origin. There are thoughts and influences and inclinations that we may not even recognize, but it's actually the demonic that's nudging us in that direction. Uh, you say, what about, you're saying that they're attacking us? Well, yeah, let me, let me tell you this terrible verse about the dragon, Satan, trying to kill Jesus and being thwarted. He was unable to do so because the child was snatched up to God. How does this end? Well, let me turn to verse 17 of the same chapter. Then the dragon was enraged and it went off to wage war against those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. Who are those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus? They're the us. And what did Satan go to do? Wage war against us. And so we find that our life is a war. Again, the Christian life is a fight. It's a struggle. It's a battle. We go, we do not go unopposed. We are opposed. And we're opposed by a great evil. And you say, well, how? If our quest to know God is going to be attacked by Satan trying to uh, end that quest or frustrate that quest, how will he frustrate it? What will he do? What did Herod do? You know, Herod was the pawn of Satan. From an earthly perspective, Herod was doing this great evil. From a heavenly perspective, Satan was using Herod to do this great evil. And so what did Herod do? Because Herod's ways are Satan's ways. He used deception. Remember when Herod said, oh, I just want to worship him. Tell me where he is. It's a lie. And Satan is called the father of lies, the source of lies. His strategy is deception. And so in our lives, one of the things he will do is use deception to try to ruin our spiritual life. I started thinking about some of the ways I've seen in Scripture and in my own life how Satan tries to use deception to thwart my efforts to build a friendship with God. And, and I thought I'd just give you three. These are not meant to be exhaustive. There are so many other lies, but here's a few. I'm going to put up tactics of Satan with a corresponding lie, all right? And the first one is insecurity. As we pursue to know God more, Satan is going to try to get you spiritually insecure. And the lie that, one of the lies that leads to insecurity is that God doesn't love you. You know, the, the pursuit of God is a, it's a love quest. It's, it's pursuing, building a love-based relationship with God. It's saying, I want to know his love. I want to feel his love. I want to bask in his presence, feel the warmth of his embrace. I want to hear his voice saying, you're my child. And I want to say, God, you're my Abba, my father. And Satan gets in and he says, God, he doesn't care about you. I'm not going to ask for a hand raise, but I know I'm not the only one who has had these ugly thoughts. You know, you have, you have thoughts like, yeah, I know that God adores some people, but I don't think he's that into me. 
I have done some pretty disgusting things. You may say, I feel disgusting. I suspect God is disgusted with me. When you have these thoughts, don't wonder where their origin is. I'll tell you, Satan, your enemy is trying to cast doubt on this great foundational principle that is the love of God. And so when you're pressing in and proclaiming God's love, and you have that, ah, you're not adored by him. Know where it's coming from. Call it what it is. You know, when Jesus battled Satan in the wilderness, he used the word of God to counteract the lies of the devil. And we can do the same thing. We can say, Satan, I know what you're doing. That's you. And you're telling me he doesn't adore me. Well, he does. Uh, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And that's what we are. Quote scripture and say, he does love me. He does love me. He does love me. And in quoting scripture and resisting the devil, you are bashing his teeth in, fighting the good fight and winning the day. You know, when I say win the day, let me remind you, don't be intimidated by Satan. Jesus said, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. What that means is that the Spirit of God in us is so infinitely more powerful than this angelic adversary that we don't need to worry. Uh, The Lord is not intimidated by this little one he's created. And so we stand strong, able to win the day in the power of God. So there's one, insecurity. You may, you may battle that. Maybe you battle this one. Here's another. Discouragement. Many of us in our pursuit of knowing God through Bible study, in our pursuit of connecting with him through prayer, we get discouraged. Uh, the, the, the lie will be, I'm horrible at this. I will always be horrible at this. Others read the Bible and they get such blessing. I read the Bible and it's confusing to me. All I do is scratch my head and say, what's that supposed to mean? I guess I'm stupid. I guess I'm spiritually dull. I'll never get it. I try to pray and others have these wonderful experiences of God's presence and love. My prayers bounce off the ceiling. I don't feel nothing. Do you get discouraged? That, that lie that you'll never be good at this is a lie from the pit of hell. It's hard. It's a struggle. But victory is promised. Remember in Jeremiah 29, 13, God said, you will seek me and what? You will find me if you seek me with all your heart. God says those who persevere, who put all their heart into this great quest, they will be victorious. They will enjoy encounter with God. And so don't buy the lie that you're horrible at this and that you'll always be horrible at this. God's spirit is in you. And if you persevere, this book will become clearer and clearer. And with the months and years as they pass and study, you'll begin to say, oh my, I'm getting more out of this all the time. Maybe you need to get a commentary. Uh, uh, admittedly, I've been I'm in the minor prophets. They can be difficulty. I do. I got my Bible and a commentary, which is a book where scholars help explain uh, you know, what I'm reading. And I even need some help sometimes. And that's okay. Uh, There are free commentaries on the web. 
uh, old ones that become common domain. But keep at it. Remember I told you you got to fight? Well, one of the things you're going to have to fight is a fight to understand the book and to hear from God and a fight to pray and get, you know, when you fall asleep, wake up and start praying again, but keep fighting. All right. Here's another uh, tactic of Satan, and that is distraction. One of the great tools of the devil is busyness. You know, he's figured out that we get really engaged with a lot of activity. And one of the best ways to keep us from God is to keep us focused on other stuff. I just don't have the time. Boy, I'd love to sit around with my Bible and my prayer journal and a cup of coffee. That sounds wonderful, but I don't have the time. That's a lie from the pit of hell. We have the time for that which matters most. And it may be difficult to simplify and prioritize and schedule, but if we really want to find 15 minutes, maybe half an hour, we can find the time. And so, Beware of distraction. Recently, I've been, again, turning off the radio in my car. I go, Jeff, you just flood your brain with a constant distraction of stuff all the time. Sit still. Meditate on God. Satan is using busyness and distraction to keep you from him. And I've been really blessed as of late as I seek to fight distraction and make time once a day in Bible study and prayer, but also throughout the day in the car, at work, at home, bringing God to mind and focusing on him. Again, Satan's doing all of this stuff. He's trying to make you insecure. He's trying to make you discouraged. He's trying to make you distracted. But folks, it's going to be a fight, but a fight you'll win if you've got aggressive tenacity to fight the good fight and the power of God. In other words, I would say, are you going after the puck these days? Let me just ask you. If I were to analyze your life, if the great goal is God, not just being saved by getting forgiven through prayer and saying, Jesus, be my forgiver. and Being saved is the huge ultimate moment. But beyond that, now we want to build a friendship with this God. Are you going after it these days? Do you have that fire in your eye? Like a hockey player who's going after the puck saying, anybody, anybody anything in my way better look out because I'm a, a man, a woman on a mission. Do you have that fire in your hearts? I pray you do. Are you timid? I pray God makes you aggressive, at least when it's related to the pursuit of God. These guys, these magi discovered, oh my, we never knew that this quest was going to come into confrontation with evil like we've never seen. Well, they discovered that and so have we. We are in a battle. You know, I was reading, uh, my uh, good friend wrote a book about army chaplains who served on the front lines during World War II. Really interesting topic. And one of the things I was surprised to discover in the book was that there were many soldiers hungry for God. So hungry for God that though they wanted to be a good soldier and they wanted to win the war, their quest of the Lord was the superior the primary pursuit in their heart. Even overseas, they were still seeking God. Let me show you a picture. This is a World War II photo of a soldier. Obviously, he's reading his Bible. This is a 
New Testament uh, standard issue, the army back then. Actually, Franklin Delano Roosevelt had Bibles made where he had a little letter encouraging the soldiers to read the Bible. I, I, am, I don't know who this soldier is, but I am inspired by him. This unnamed soldier wants God. He wants to hear from God. He wants to see God, and he's pursuing him. And if anybody had excuses not to, it's this guy. You know, I got no chair. You, hey, buddy, you got no chair. He's like, I don't, I don't need a chair. I'll just sit on the ground. You got no table. You know, you got to spread out. You have to have, to have a place where you can have your coffee and your prayer journal. Because I don't need a table. Uh, you know, you're in combat. There are enemy wanting to kill you. He's like, yeah, well, they're not shooting at me right now. But, but it's freezing. He's like, I, I've felt worse. Uh, you're sitting in the snow, dude. It's going to soak through your pants. They'll dry. Here's a guy who's not going to let any excuse stop him from pursuing the Lord. You know, soldiers are fighters by nature. They're trained to be fighters. They're tenacious. They're aggressive. And those same traits are serving this soldier well in his pursuit of God. Is this you? I pray increasingly that it is. Again, my dream is that like the Magi, we of the Compass Church would be a caravan, a community of people in pursuit of the face of Jesus, a people who are just dissatisfied with our present experience, our relational experience of God. And we want more. We want to see him. We want to know him. We want to feel his love and enjoy his companionship. And we want to share life with him and laugh together with our God. And we don't have enough of it, so together we're going after him caravan, community in pursuit of the face of Christ. Well, our caravan is under attack, and we always will be. There is a very real enemy who's trying to thwart our high goal, and the good news is he who is in us is greater than he who's in the world, and though it'll be a battle, it will be a battle we will win through Christ. You ready to pray? With this picture, I just want to say, we're, going to, we're about to sing a song. After I pray, we're going to sing a song. Uh, the chorus says, Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. That's this guy here. Through all, all the distractions, the snow, the war, the hardship. He says, through it all, my eyes are on you. And that's the tenacity that we've got to have as good soldiers of Christ. To say it's going to be a battle, but through it all, <laughs> nobody's going to take my eyes off of the Lord. So let's pray. God, we're a bit sobered by this reminder that our our struggle to know you is not unopposed, that we have a very real enemy trying to lie to us. God, thank you for reminding us, us of that. And would you give us victory in the fight? God, every time Satan's trying to discourage or Take the heart out of our pursuit. Would you show us that it's him? Would you, by your spirit, help us see the lie that we're starting to buy? And would you help us remember the biblical truth and stand in the truth so that we can win this great fight we've been called to? Please, Lord, give us tenacity and fight. 
to go after a deeper friendship with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.